right, well, we're going uh, gonna to try to get you guys out of here as if it were a holiday today early. I got 11 verses, and um, I was going to get into chapter 11 today and kind of do chapter and a half, but I'll just tell you guys, um, as we put on our Revelation hat, hey, if we could get the slide for the timeline up, please, uh, the, the one we used last week, um, chapter 11. We're going to get into some really um, um, deep study next week of where we are time-wise in the tribulation, the two witnesses of Revelation, lots of controversy over, over who these two witnesses are as we get into 11. It's going to start setting the tone where it'll finish. The, the book of Revelation and the judgments are surrounded by three groups of seven judgments. We started with the seal judgments and the four horsemen, and then we went to the seven trumpet judgments. And we're going to yet come to the four or the seven bowl judgments, which are coming up in the second three and a half years, when things are already very bleak and dark. And we just finished the, the sixth trumpet in chapter 9, and there's this pause in 10 and 11 and 12 as we're going to get into these um, more detail of what's going on during the Great Tribulation period. And then as we get to 15, the, the judgments start up again. And so chapter 10 is a, we call it a parenthetical chapter. And so again, the book of Revelation, the one thing that I promise you is from chapter 6 to 19, you can put parentheses around that and know that everything that's happening in chapter 6 through 19 is taking place in a seven-year period of human history that's yet future. It's, it's called the Great Tribulation, or the Tribulation, the first three and a half years, the Great Tribulation, the second three and a half years. The world is fascinated with this point in history. There's so many movies that are out right now. It's so popular, zombies and aliens and abductions and, and into the world stuff that the, that the world has just locked onto about um, this time. And it, it's all skewed and it's all different, but they understand that something is coming. Just like, do you know when Jesus, before Jesus was born, in the Old Testament, it, it's a picture, it, it's, a, it's a, 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 a portraying, or when I don't know what the word I'm looking for, I'm missing the word, but anyways, there was a feeling that they knew that the, that the Messiah would come. And in Israel, there was a saying that the women have the desire of women. The desire of women in Israel was to be the mother of Messiah. And so there was, there was a feeling, there was an atmosphere around knowing that, that God was going to fulfill what the Old Testament for thousands of years had promised, that Messiah would come. And at the time that Jesus was born, there was this heir, and the wise men came, and on and on. Well, as Jesus is going to come back, which is in our near future, again, the world is starting to sense these things. I mean, it's been since like 2000. Do you remember in 2000? And it was the, the, the end of the world in the, when 1999 turned into 2000. So how many of you guys stored food and things on New Year's Eve of 1999? A couple of you guys are admitting it. A couple of you guys are like, not me. I knew better. I did. We did. We got some wheat and some things like a dry storage stuff and um, just, you know, but those things. Remember when the Inca or the Aztec calendar was running out and the end of the world? And so the world is recognizing this and there's all these again movies and it started way back with movie armageddon which is you know really a the, the word armageddon they use the word armageddon to mean ominous and terrible things that we're studying about but actually the word itself armageddon is not an ominous word it's translated to revelation in english and it just means an unveiling if there was a curtain here and the brand new ford bronco was behind it nobody had seen it before and we removed the curtain that's what revelation means it's an unveiling of things to come. So here in our timeline, you don't want to get mixed. I, mean, I don't know how well you guys can see this back there, but 
Don't get too lost in it. I just want to highlight right here where it says Revelation 6 through 18, the seven-year tribulation. If you just make a red circle around that, that's where we're studying um, in the book of Revelation right now. Chapters 1 are things that, that happened in already, things that were. Chapters 2 and 3 is where you and I are living. It's the church age. Because the Bible says that, that it has a divine outline in Revelation. And Revelation can be difficult. But if you take the divine outline in Revelation 1.19, the book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Everybody, the book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. It's the only book in the Bible that comes with its own divine outline. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, write the things that were, the things that are, and the things that are to come. So we've passed the things that were, chapter 1. We, we pass the things that are, but that's where you and I are right now in Revelation 2 and 3. We're living in the church age. The church age ends, Romans eleven twenty five with what event? The rapture of the church. The church age ends. We see the rapture, and I believe very um, strongly and personally that in Revelation 4, we see the rapture, which ends Revelation 2 and 3. Revelation 5 is a scene in heaven. And then Revelation 6 through 9 is detailing this seven-year tribulation period that we're studying now. So as we get through, and I think next week, we've kind of like, we know exactly where are we in the seven years. By the time we get to 10, it's a little bit hard to tell. But when we get to 11, there's some clues that we'll get next week that I think will kind of fill us in. And I'll just give you a spoiler alert. I think in 11, we're reaching the three and a half year mark. By the time we get to Revelation 13, the Antichrist goes into the Jewish temple. And we know that that happens right at the three and a half year mark in chapter 11. So, and I believe the two witnesses we're going to see next week are present in the first half of the tribulation period because it tells us that, remember last week we studied about the key to the bottomless pit and those demons that came out of the bottomless pit uh, and they had a leader that was called Apollyon and Abadion. Abadion? Abaddon and Apollyon. Yeah. That so we um, that 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 presence that came out of the bottomless pit it says in eleven is going to war against the two witnesses and prevail over them and their dead bodies are going to lay in the street for three and a half days and so that that and again so that'll kind of help us put a little bit of timeline which is going to put us about the three and a half year mark where we are so chapter ten again is kind of parenthetical we've gone through all these judgments we just finished of the trumpet judgments, the seventh is yet to come. Now remember in the seven judgments, there's seven, seven, seven. Seven in the Bible is the number of completion, but the sixth one of the seals is a prelude to the first of the trumpets. And the seventh trumpet is a prelude to the first bowl. So that's the way we'll see that. And so we get to six, and then we get this kind of parenthetical chapter here. Um, And then we won't pick up the next set of judgments until we get to chapter 15. So it says in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And I saw, everybody say, I saw. So John sees another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. So here John is saying a vision, and the longest vision that we have from John, and really one of the shortest chapters in Revelation, is recorded here. And so John is seeing these things Physically, and he sees these things in a vision. And, you know, different kind of people and scholars put this differently. I kind of see it because it makes, it kind of, kind of makes the language in the early part of Revelation that John was actually there. 
so that God 2,000 years ago when John was exiled on the island of Patmos, that he brought him, it says he brought him in the spirit to see these things. So it's very possible. It could be just he was seeing visions, but whether he was there physically, brought in the spirit to the future to, to witness these things, to write about them, or if he saw them in a vision, regardless, he saw the same thing, right? No matter which way that happened, he still saw the same thing. So this is something that John is seeing with his own eyes. He's experiencing it. I think that for those that are experiencing or that go through the revelation, we won't get to do this because we won't be here. We will have already gotten, gotten raptured. But maybe what you want to do if you're still going to be here is as this stuff is unfolding, look over on the beach somewhere and you might see John, the revelator, standing over there with a pad writing down the things that are happening as he's watching them unfold, being brought from the past into the future to record these things for us. And so he, saw, he sees here another mighty angel. Now look at the description of the angel that he saw. It says first that he came down from heaven with a cloud and with a rainbow on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like a pillar of fire. Now immediately these, there's a lot of similarities here to descriptions of Jesus Christ. The Bible, um, God is always assimilated or he's always as a cloud. It's, you see him in a cloud. Moses met with the Lord in a cloud. It was a cloud by day, a cloud by night. Jesus was carried up in a cloud when he ascended in Acts chapter. It says he's coming back. How is Jesus coming back? In the clouds. And so we see a similarity to God. Now, um, the rainbow in Revelation chapter 1 in verse 15 and 16, we have these similarities to Jesus in this description here, that he was a rainbow, his face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. But what's, what throws me here, even though there's lots of similarities to Jesus, it says that he's described as a mighty angel. And nowhere else in Revelation is Jesus described as an angel. His, 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 favorite, his favorite word for himself is a lamb, the lamb of God. And you see that over and over and over again, consistent in Revelation. Now, it's not strange, though, to think of Jesus as an angel or described as an angel, we just don't see it in Revelation. In the Old Testament, we have these things that are called Christophanies. You know what a Christophany is? It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord. When Joshua saw the angel of the Lord and he had that big sword, and remember the story, and Joshua comes to the angel of the Lord and he says, are you for us or are you against us? And what does the angel of the Lord say? He says, yes. No. Are you for me or are you against me? He says, no. You know, no real answer, but it's Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus. And he's described as the angel of the Lord. And you see that where in the Old Testament, Daniel saw Jesus in the, in the, um, in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar said, didn't I throw four men into the, three men into the fire and yet I see fourth. And the fourth is like the son of God. And so he's standing there in the fire. And so you see, and it's very, very common to see Jesus as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we, we, we don't, or not in the New Testament, but especially in Revelation, this is the only time, or would be the only time, where Jesus is described as an angel or a mighty angel. So, me personally, I, I don't see this as Jesus, but I see this exactly. And he says, I saw another mighty angel. Now, the Greek word that he uses there for another is another of, of the same likeness or the same kind. And if this was Jesus, then it wouldn't describe him as, as another like Gabriel, but as another Greek word that means another, that would mean another of a different kind. And so this Greek word doesn't fit for it to be Jesus. And then also, it's that he's in the, the likeness of, and he's like. 
Now, either way, you guys can, again, you can study this for yourself, as I told you guys last week in a few places, and um, that you don't have to be one way or the other, that you can see here and read this, and these descriptions are similar of Jesus, and see this and believe this to be Jesus, great. Or you can see it that it's just, as it says here, another mighty angel. I'm in the camp of the other mighty angel in this particular case, um, but, but I'll tell you, for me personally, there, there's something really cool about this if this is not Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Because this, this angel, he stands in the presence of God. He lives in the presence of God. And when he lives in the presence of God, he takes on the characteristics of God. If this is Michael, possibly Michael here, the warring angel. We know we see Michael and Judah tells us the only um, angel in the Bible that's described as an archangel. But that Michael, the word Michael means in the likeness of God. Same as God is what the Hebrew word Michael means. And when you spend time in the presence of God, guess what happens? You become like him. And so this angel who has spent time in the presence of God, he has some of the attributes and he takes on the likeness of God. Do you remember Moses? And Moses would go up on the mountain and he would spend time with God. And what would happen when Moses would come down? His face would do what? His face would glow. It would shine. And it would shine, it would reflect, and it wasn't Moses' glow, there was nothing about Moses, it was the presence of God that was shining off of him, that was reflecting off of him, and how did he get that glow? He got it by being in the presence of God. And that is so Bible, that is so good, because that is consistent, Genesis to Revelation, we see that with Mary, we see how Mary, um, and I talk about Mary, and every time you see Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus, and she glows with the wisdom and, and, and with so many things of worship and of, and of character that just came from sitting at the feet of Jesus and being in the presence of Jesus. You know the word Christian? Do you know what the word Christian means? It's two words, Christ, Christ and Shan. Christ-like is what the word means. It means that we're, we're like Jesus. And really that's, that's the biblical concept of that Jesus came and he showed the way to the Father. And that, and that Jesus lays the, the, the foundation of how we're to be. And if you want to know what the Father is like, Jesus said to look at me. And, and so to be in the presence of Jesus, we're naturally going to reflect him. How, how are you going to witness? How are, you going to, how are people going to see Jesus in your life to want to have what you have, to be like you? You know, you could study. I mean, you, there, you can intellectually study the Word of God and be smart and know those things. And those things are valuable in your, in your walk as a Christ follower. But nothing more valuable than sitting at the feet and being in a regular basis in your life in the presence of God. You know, that's what worship is. It's, it's, it's a time to put us in the presence of God and to reflect the, the love of Jesus, to reflect the glow of Jesus in our lives. Amen? So at first I was a little bummed. You know, and I'm reading all the commentaries and I'm studying this passage. And, you know, a lot of people are agreeing that this angel is not Jesus. And I'm like... Okay, that, that, it's some similar d- descriptions, but it's not Jesus. And then, and then the Lord just spoke to me. But even if it's not Jesus, it's, even, it's, even way, it's probably actually even way cooler if it's not Jesus because he reflects Jesus in who he is because he spends time in the presence of God. And I just love it. Acts 4.13. You guys can hang out or turn there with me. I just want to give you one Bible verse that, that talks about what I'm talking about. In Acts 4.13 it says, um, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So we see here where, 
where, where Peter and John and the people are like, we know you. You're a fisherman. You dropped out of school in like the fifth grade to go, to go fish. And you're unlearned and you're untrained men. And you spent your life on a boat. But they marveled at who they were. And the conclusion of how they were marveling was based on the fact that they knew these men had been with who? With Jesus. And so again, you know, I always put a, I always put a greater emphasis on everything that we do as Christ followers, as Christians, in being in the presence of God. I think there's a place for, you know, cemetery, I mean seminary, and, um, uh, and higher learning, and education, and, and Bible college, and I did a lot of those things. Um, and, and again, they're, they're, they're all in balance, not one without the other. But ultimately, I, I think you can, you, you'll find those things, and you, can, you, you, you can't have one without the other. But the one you, you can get away with is if you start in the presence of God, that the Holy Spirit will bring these things into your life. The Holy Spirit will quicken you. The Holy Spirit will do these things in your life. Amen? And so for James and John, you know, they, they never went to college. They, they didn't have that luxury. They spent time with Jesus, and they were equipped to do the ministry that they needed to do. So then we see um, in verse number 2, it says, And he had a little book opened in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice, and when the li- as when the lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. So this angel appears, this, again, mighty angel. Picture the scene. It says he put one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. So this is a, a, a being of authority. If you're big enough that you could put one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, and it's probably taking place in Israel, so he's probably on the Mediterranean there, and one, one foot in the Mediterranean Sea and one foot on the land. And, and so we have this mighty angel, and it's, it's, it's a picture of authority. And he has a little book opened in his hand. And then, and then in verse 4, it says, When the seven thun- thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. So, what do you think the seven thunders uttered? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to reveal it for you right here for the first time ever. And you've got to come back next week to get the rest of the revelation that God gave me personally. And you've got to tithe and if you want to make sure and give lots of money if you want to hear these things that only I know from the Word of God. That I got in the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning as I was praying, seeking God for every one of you. This is what the seven thunders uttered. I have no clue. No, honestly, it doesn't tell us. You know, there's a silence here. And for some reason, John wrote down the whole, all these things. He tells us all the things that are taking place. But as this angel puts his feet down, and picture where we are. John is there. He's seeing the vision. This angel comes. He has a, a scroll in his hand. He speaks of authority. It's a mighty angel. The rainbow on his head. Sun on his feet. And, and thunder. Seven thunders of the voice of God ring out. And they say something. And John is there, and he's watching all this. And he's going to start to write it down. And God says, stop. Don't record that. And so we go on, and, and, and oftentimes the Bible speaks loud in the silence as it does in the things that it says. And so here there's a reason. And it's not like God is saying, I know something that you don't know, and I'm not going to tell any of you guys. You know, Jesus said, I don't do anything first that I, that I haven't revealed to you. Jesus said, in, as you study Jesus, that in his life he's open, he's an open book, and it, he tells us the things that he's going to do. But in John's Gospel, in chapter 16, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, I have many things yet to tell you, but you're not, re- yet, not yet ready for them. There's some things, you know, like Pastor Gerald, the Lord spoke to him that verse, John 16, in his, in his testimony. 
And he says as he was a young pastor, God spoke to him that verse. I have many things to show you, but you're not yet ready for them. And he said, had God showed me all the things that I was going to go through in my life, I don't know that I would have continued to walk with him. And there were some scary things that I had to face and, and, and in that stage of my life. And so there's some things biblically that we're just not going to understand. There's some things that maybe you're not ready for. You know, how many of you guys still have little children? I still have a five-year-old. You know, there's certain things that she's just not ready for. You know, there's certain things that I haven't quite told her yet that we're working out how to communicate to her and that she's just not ready to receive. And it's for her good. It's because we love her. It's because we care about her. We're, 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 we're trying to raise her up as, you know, a, a, somebody as a daughter that's loved and cared for. And God loves you and cares for you. And there's things that we just don't know. But the other thing that's good to me in this situation is that, you, you know, we don't need to know it all. You know, we, 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 sometimes it's the better answer as a Christian when somebody's asking you some crazy Bible questions is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't know. That's a good question. You know, let me look into it. Let me get back to you. Let me, let me think about that. But I, but I don't know. Rather than make up something that you don't know. Our pastor, um, Chuck, had a great saying. And he said, don't exchange what you know for what you don't know. And, and that just means sometimes somebody comes to you and they do have a tough question. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. That does make the Bible seem like it contradicts itself. And it makes sense. And you don't know. And you're just still figuring it out. But then because of that, you throw away everything that you do know for that one thing that you don't know. Don't make that mistake. Just go back to what you know. And maybe, the, maybe a better answer than just I don't know is, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is that Jesus died on a cross. And I do know that the resurrection is an historical event. And that Jesus rose and was seen by 500 at a time. And you have to deal with that in your life. I do know that you're going to stand before God one day and have to give account for your life. And something has to be done with your sins. And that Jesus loves you and he cares for you. And that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that, that God wants to forgive you and God loves you. That I do know. I know that I was wretched and broken. And I'm still wretched and broken. And that God is changing me every day. And that God is healing me. And God did an amazing work and God brought me from here and he's brought me to here and share your testimony and share some things that you're passionate about that you do know about Christ. You know, and the reality is in in a lot of those intellectual conversations that people want to get us twisted up in, it doesn't matter how great your answer is, it's not going to change them. So you're not never, you know, the thing is if you can argue somebody into the kingdom of God, they can be argued out. And, and, And Jesus said, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And at some point, people have to put their faith in God to be saved and to be born again. And so those intellectual arguments, you know, and again, they're good. There's a place for apologetics. And the Bible talks about that. Be ready. Have a defense for your faith. But oftentimes, you know, having something that's heartfelt that, hey, you know, and the Bible says that we overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so maybe being a testimony. There's things we just don't know. And so here it doesn't tell us. And again, you know, as you read the commentators on Revelation, everybody wants to tell you what the seven thunders said. And, and it's like, you don't know. The Bible says you don't know. There's a reason why God didn't tell us. So we don't need to worry about um, one way or the other. We, we do have some things as we study our Bibles, right? We, we look at things. It, it, it would sound like these seven thunders is a reference to the voice of God because that's consistent all the way through um, the Bible is that, that the description of God speaking in seven thunders. Um, there's references in Jeremiah and Psalms um, about those things. And so... Maybe this is, this is the voice of God. And then the other thing is seven. Seven is the number of completion. And what's happening here in chapter 10, if we keep this in, in its context, this is a prelude to a judgment. There's judgments that are coming that, that, that is going to be the final 
end of, of the judgments of God upon planet Earth. The point where God wins. You know, I, I say this sometimes. I read the, I read the last chapter, we win in the end. Well, this is the declaration here in chapter 10 that God is going to win. Do you remember that in chapter 6, um, the, the, there, in verse number 9, it says, When he opened the, set, the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Listen. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And so there's this cry, God, when are you going to avenge us? And, and some of us, right, we, we have that cry here in, in this world. Lord, Lord, when are you going to bring justice? When are you going to fix these wrongs? When are you going to right these wrongs? When are you going to stop these atrocities? When are you going to stop these things from happening? And so that question is getting answered here in 10. And God is saying with these thunders and with these bowls that the time is coming when, when God's Final justice is going to be poured out. And as we get into, again, Revelation 13, 14, 15, by the time we get to 17, it's finished. And this Babylonian religion, this Babylonian system that the Antichrist has set up, God is going to have finally defeated it. All the bowls are going to be poured out. And and God's judgment is going to be complete on planet Earth. The Lord Jesus is going to come back in the Battle of Armageddon. He's going to finish the final armies of Antichrist. And then we're going to go into a thousand-year reign with Christ and the millennial judgment in Revelation, described in Revelation 20. So this is kind of saying that these judgments are coming. They're complete. In verse number 5, it says, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on, and on the land raised up his hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth, and the things that are in it, and that are in the sea, and the things that are in it, and there should be a delay no longer. In verse 6, again, maybe another little clue that this angel is not Jesus because this angel is swearing by the creator of heaven. And we know that Jesus is the creator of heaven. You know, you could also say that the Bible says in the Old Testament that God swore by himself because there was none greater. And so that would fit here. But again, I see as this angel is, is swearing by the creator that just another kind of layer. This doesn't look like this is Jesus here. And then he says at the end of verse 6, what does it say there? The last five words, should be delay no longer. So again, this is the declaration that the final justice of God is coming. Okay, So it's coming, that God is going to bring his, his judgment on the earth to a completion and that it's coming. And then in verse 7 it says, but the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servant, the prophets. And then in verse 8, it says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel and I said to him, Give me that little book, man. Can you picture little John, right? This is a big angel. He's standing on... One foot on the ocean, one foot on the sea. He's got this book in his hand. And little John probably coming up to his knees maybe. You know, Give me the book, man. Okay. Hey, but John was bold and the angel said, go give him the book. And so he went and he said, give me that book. And he said, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. And so I don't want you to think of this as like, 
John had a, literally a book of paper that he wadded up, you know, like, let the dog eat your homework, and you, you know, I don't know, maybe you ate paper when you were a kid. If you're still eating paper, come talk to me afterwards. We have counseling for that. But the idea here is, again, consistent with the word um, Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 15, verse 16, um, describes consuming the word as eating it. Ezekiel in chapter 3 describes receiving the word as eating it in verses 1 through 4. Um, uh, Jesus himself said, man shall not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God in the New Testament is described as the bread of life. It's described as the, the, the water of the word. And so we have lots of kind of similarities and idioms that talk about the Bible being food for our souls, right? And that, that we should eat the word of God, that we should consume the word of God. So he's not actually, what's the scene here is not that he's going to take this literal pages and chomp them down, is that he's going to put the word of God in his heart and life. The Bible says that God will write the word of God upon the tablets of your heart. You know, here we, we have a saying, read your Bible and pray every day. And we talk about, again, putting the word of God in you. You know, I, I met with, a, I, I had a guy yesterday here at the Harvest Festival and he let his grandkids come through the carnival and he stood outside and I, and I said, why don't you go in and, and join your grandkids? And he said, I ain't going in there. I don't like you guys' doctrine. And I said, oh, okay, cool. And he's like, the father never sacrificed anybody. And, 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 and to him, he had heard the gospel and he just rejected it. And I, I didn't really have a good answer for him. First of all, I was having a hard time figuring out where he was coming from. But he said, the father never sacrificed anybody. It's killing. It's not sacrificing. And I didn't quite know what he meant by that. And later I thought it through and I thought maybe what he... What he, he, he's saying is that, you know, it does. If you don't see Jesus and the Father as one, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you don't see the Trinity and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being one, that, that it does make God the Father, if He sent His Son, it makes God the Father a tyrant if Jesus is not God. Or if He's any kind of, uh, uh, just a notch lower than the Father, if the Father sends His Son, He's not a good Father. He is a tyrant. Right? I've given this example a hundred times and you guys have all heard it, but if Right now, if somebody came in here talking nonsense and threw a bomb in the middle of the sanctuary here and, you know, you guys all panicked and freaked out and started to run, but not me. I reacted calm and cool. And I went and got my son back there, Nathan, and I threw him on top of the bomb. You guys are like, wow, Pastor, you saved everybody. That's so great. Is that how you'd feel? You're like, you jerk. You know, like a good father doesn't grab his son and throw his son on the bomb. A good father jumps on the bomb himself. And so if God takes Jesus and puts him on the cross, if they're not one, if Jesus is not God, if Jesus and the Father are not one, and God himself didn't come and hang on the cross, which he did, then yeah, it gets a feel that, 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 that God is a tyrant, that God's not a good, good father. And I don't know if that was his hang up. Maybe he just didn't understand the Trinity. But to him, he had received the word of God. And, and as we receive the word of God, what the angel is going to say here is that to some, it's bitter, it's it's sweet in your mouth and bitter in your stomach. And that's the truth of the Word of God, even in that situation for me. Like the Word of God is sweet to me, but for this guy it was bitter. And it was, it was bitterness in, in trying to share it. And sometimes as we share the Word of God, there's difficult things and there's hard things. And for those that reject the Word of God, it is bitter. And for those that receive the Word of God, those that, that, that get saved through understanding the love of Jesus through the Word of God, it's, it's very sweet. And so we have this situation here. And again... Um, the Bible talks about, you know, again, that we, the Bible, God says he'll, he'll write the Bible on the tablets of your heart. And you know that, 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 that so many times, like in that situation, 
yesterday talking to this gentleman and trying to encourage him a little bit. And he, he was he was at first being very cordial. He he finally got a little red and hotter as we went on talking. So we didn't have a whole lot of time to talk. But, um, you know, it's like I didn't have time to go say, well, hold on, let me go find the Bible and let me find the verse I want to, you know. And it's like the things that were in my heart, I, I had to share that, that at that moment. And so unless I had been preparing and putting the Word of God in my heart on a daily basis, preparing those things, you know, using the Word of God as a bread of life, this daily bread that, that I could have something to share. And then we see, um, so what's John going to do? It says um, in verse number 10, So I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, it was in my stomach bitter. You guys ever heard the saying, bittersweet? Again, that comes from the Bible. All these things come from the Bible. You know, life, life can be bittersweet, right? And we understand things and other things in life that are bittersweet. Ladies, how about uh, childbearing? can be bittersweet, right? Bitter and, until that little baby's laying on your chest and then it's pretty sweet. And other things in life that we understand. And again, you know, the Word of God can have its, its place in our, in our lives as, as bittersweet. And so... Um, and again, I think in the context of what we're studying. Now, I hope I haven't lost us in the context of where we are in chapter 10. So let me back that up just a little bit. Okay? There's this announcement of this angel that's coming to John. He's going to receive this book. It's bittersweet. But everything that's happening in chapter 10, so we can keep it in it's a simple context, is there's an announcement that God is making through this angel about these bold judgments and about the rest of the book of Revelation that's coming that's going to get even worse. And that's been the progression, right? We saw the this, this, this sealed judgments and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. A third of, of the population of human earth, of human earth, of humans on earth has died. And then as we get into the trumpet judgments, we see another 50% of those that are remaining have died. And it's just ramping itself up as we go through the book of, of, of Revelation through the tribulation period. And here in chapter 10 is this mighty announcement that what's coming is going to continue to get worse. And it's going to continue to where God's and God's final judgment is coming and God's final victory is going to come. And so that's the announcement that's taking place. Part of the bitterness of what John is having to deal with here. And then in verse 11, and this is for everybody. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues and kings. You know how old John was in in, uh, in the writing of the book of Revelation? Old man John, we call him at this point. Ninety years old. Ninety years old. He had already lived a long and prosperous life and was exiled to the island of Patmos late in his life, in his 90s, as God calls him to write this. We don't have anybody here in their 90s, do we? 90? 80? 70? Somebody help him raise their hand. 60? I'm 30. I'll be next year anyways, yeah. Well, oh no. I don't know if he's going to make it, man. We'll pray for him. Um, you don't retire. There's no retiring in uh, serving the Lord. You know, there's no, there's no stopping in serving the Lord. You know, even as a pastor and things, maybe you don't stay in the pulpit for your whole time the day you die, but you don't ever stop serving the Lord. And you never stop having an opportunity to be used by God. You know, I went and visited Jackie this week. She just had her shoulder surgery. She runs a children's ministry. And Lydia had bought her some flowers, and I delivered them. And, you know, and she was, she was down, you know, and she couldn't do nothing. And she's a server, you know, and she likes to serve, and she likes to be involved. And she was a little discouraged because there's 
you know, she's been doing this harvest festival every year and she wasn't able to be too much of a part. And I just encourage her, listen, you, you, you can never not be serving the Lord in any situation. You're stuck in a hospital bed, you're stuck at home. What can you do? You can be praying. You can be a prayer warrior everywhere you go, wherever you are. There's so many people that need prayer and our church needs prayer and people in our community and your family needs prayer. And so you can be serving the Lord in prayer. It doesn't matter if you're too old or you're too young. God can use you where you are. And God's going to tell John here, don't worry. There's a lot more that I have for you. I want you to continue to serve the Lord. You know, those that came yesterday and just served, you know, doing things, cleaning up when we were done. This place was a mess. We had hay. Um, I don't know why Josh decided to use hay, but no, it was cool. It was really cool, but it was great. I'm glad we did. But it made a huge mess, and it was from one side of the building to the other. And you can't just, it, you can kind of, but not really vacuum and stuff, and it's just a mess. The people stayed and worked, but you know what? That's, they did that as unto the Lord, right? Like serving the Lord. They did that to God, for the Lord. And so part of serving the Lord in, in any way that we can, that we just, we serve Jesus, we do those things, we clean that up because we put it down so we could tell people in our community about Jesus. Amen? You know, and so, again, continue to serve the Lord. Find a place. We're without excuse. Okay, what's going on in your life, where you are physically or anything else, age-wise, you can serve the Lord. God has a plan for you. God has a ministry for you. And if you're not doing anything for the Lord, it's, it's not for lack of, of, of God not having opportunity for you. It's for lack of you tapping into what it is God wants you to do. And it's really simple. Just ask Him, hey, God, I want an opportunity. Lord, I want to serve. Come talk to the church or find somewhere to serve. And prayer ministry... Serving people, loving people, any of us can do that, right? You know, one of my favorite Bible verses, and I keep it in my house because my wife needs to remember it. It says, be ye kind one to another. (laughs) I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Wednesday night, we had this uh, 10th hour ministry come. And these young kids that are traveling the, the nation right now with this young discipleship program and they, uh, they shared a little PowerPoint on uh, evangelism and encouraging us to evangelize and share our faith. And um, they, one, of the, one of the levels of evangelism was apologetics. And the word pol- apologetics means, the, the word is I'm sorry, basically, is the kind of the, the thing. And so the, la- the little girl was up here, young gal was up here sharing the PowerPoint. She looks out of the church and she's like, hey, I want everybody to say, I'm sorry. Everybody says it. And then she gets done and I come up and I, I look at the girl and I say, Man, I said, have you ever seen, have you ever witnessed miracles before? I said, how old are you? And she tells me her age. And later she told me, I was getting all excited because I thought you were going to say that I really had a miracle. And I was like, you, you performed miracles on this stage and you didn't even know it. I said, 23 years I've been married. I never heard that woman say, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, you, and she said, I'm sorry today. Miracles. And that little girl, she, she got a little disappointed with me afterwards. She's like, I thought I was really good at I didn't know you were telling a joke. I said, no, you still did perform miracles. Let's stand together. Let's have the worship team come up as we do that. I said I was going to try to end early. You guys mark this down. There was, you know, I, I saw this originally, chapter uh, 10, and I saw 11 verses. And I said, you know, today would be a good Sunday. It's just been a busy week for all of us and all of you, I'm sure. And um, probably some stuff. It would be a good day to end early this week, you know, and and then I started studying the 10, and there was so much, so much meat, so much meat, so much good stuff. You know, I love that picture of the angel who is there. And he has all this likeness of Jesus. But it's not because he is Jesus. It's because he spends time in the presence of Jesus. And, and that is so consistent, again, with your Bible and everything we read in our Bibles, that, that we're going to reflect Jesus as 
we spend time in His presence. Amen? So I want to encourage you guys today, if you heard anything from this Revelation study today, I want you to hear this. I want you to be encouraged this week and to be intentional in our lives as Christ followers to spend time in the presence of God. You know, and, and honestly, let, 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 me, let me take that corporately as it goes out to all of you and make it individual for every one of you. Are, are you, ask yourself, you don't got to tell me or anybody else, but just be honest with yourself, are you spending time as a Christ follower in the presence of God on a weekly basis, on a daily basis? Do you do that? I'm not condemning you. I'm not judging you. I'm encouraging you. Spend some time with Jesus. It really, it really is important. It really is, is beneficial to what we do, and, and it makes us reflect. And there's no other way that we're going to reflect the presence of God unless we spend time in His presence. Amen? Keep your seatbelts on. Next week as we get into chapter 11, there's some, some really good stuff coming up, and we're going to try to uh, probably have to slow down a little bit as we get into chapter 11 to walk through some of these things that we're going to come to. There's a video out on YouTube about the two witnesses. If you watch that video, um, and, and I think it's called the two olive branches, or it's a black pastor, and he does it, and he goes through it's about an hour and 45 minutes on the two witnesses. If you watch that video and you come back next week, and you ask me about if that is the truth, we're not going to be friends anymore, okay? <laughs> the video is so bad. Don't do it. It says that the, the two witnesses are the church and the bride of Christ, and one is the big groups of people, one is Israel, and I've had so many questions about it. I'm teasing. I'll be careful, but it's not good. It's not there. We're going to study it next week. We're going to see who the two witnesses are, and we're not going to need to go an hour and 45 minutes of Bible judo to figure it out. And so be careful what you, what, you, what you read online or what you watch online. And some of these things are very convincing and they make these arguments, but it's like, you know, when we trade what we don't know for what we do know. And, and all these other things that we do know, we have to trade to make these things. And they make these videos and all this stuff. Look, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Find some good commentators you like. And then be careful with some of that stuff that you watch online. And again, we'll tackle it next week. Read ahead. Read 11, 12, 13. Read ahead a little bit and we'll... Uh, We'll get into it next week. Amen? Amen. Let's worship.